Hello, beautiful listeners. Welcome to another episode of Canvas Me Today podcast. Today, it's your host here, Shanze, along with a special guest of mine, Aline, a filmmaker who is also my brother. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode on movies and more. Oh, and by the way, for my listeners, I will be addressing my brother as uh, by, which translates to brother, so don't be confused or alarmed. All right, so uh, how are you doing today, bye? Pretty sleepy, Okay. as you can tell. Is that like the artist's drive in you, like just thinking of ideas or... I think so. Okay. Um, and it's also not doing my work and then doing it in the middle of the night. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's, that's a push to get your projects done. So um, before we get to the questions, tell my listeners a bit about you. Who is you? Talk to me about your journey with filmmaking, kind of just how you decided it was something you wanted to pursue or what else. Well, it started off from my interest in animation. I was in high school when I came across an animator, and he was doing a lot of independent work. His name's Monty. He's dead now. He died really young, actually. But he was doing a lot of cool things at the time that nobody was doing. Um, He was modeling 3D characters from popular video game series and movies and doing his own animations and fight scenes from them. And I thought that was really fun and cool. So I wanted to be an animator early on Mm -hmm. and when I wanted to get into school for it after graduating high school I learned that you actually need to know how to draw to get into animation school and I didn't have any drawing skills so that wasn't an option so I thought about more of what I really enjoyed about the animation aspect of things and at the end of the day it just comes down to storytelling Um, even fight scenes are choreographed well to have like an ebb and flow and it ends up being its own form of story. It's kind of like a dance. So I went into filmmaking because that scratches the same itch for me and I really like it. All right, cool, cool. So um, to the questions now, I want to start with kind of like adaptations that films take on and how we see, for example, Disney is a big one, how they take um, something, uh, a project that they produced before and they kind of put a spin on it, whether that be live action or whatever. Um, I want to focus on how there are film adaptations from books and how there's usually that split um, opinion about the book was better. What is your take on that? What, what do you feel about that comment and all? It really depends on the movie. Um, If people are arguing the book is better, I need to know what they liked about the book specifically because at the end of the day, they're different mediums and they accomplish things differently. Books are great at gathering internal dialogue and thoughts of characters and kind of like the internal world. Um, That can get really boring on screen if all you're listening to is narration. Um, Mm -hmm. Some shows and movies do it well. But you can't overdo anything in an hour and a half or two hour show or movie. So you kind of need to strike a balance that books have a strength in that they they're, they can do prose and they can just go into describing things in vivid details. Um, but movies just show things a lot more visually. So... It really depends what you like. If you're talking about, I think the characters weren't true to their book versions, that's an acceptable argument. Um, However, sometimes the person adapting the movie is also the person who wrote the book. So then it becomes the argument of, well, 
that's still the original author using their original characters the way they see fit. Um, sometimes people have multiple versions of a character and they want to explore a different side of them. So you can, you're still entitled to your opinion that, yeah, the book was better or you enjoyed it more because no one's going to take that away from you. But the end of the day, when someone's adapting something, they're doing it with a very specific purpose in mind. And I would say try to watch things with an open mind and don't try to connect it to any other piece. Same goes with sequels. Um, sequels suffer with people kind of being attached to the first version and then you want that same feeling or whatever you enjoyed with that in the second version but you really have to enjoy it as a standalone own thing and see what it's bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah and I, I always like to bring up the argument that there are different mediums and the reason why one may feel like the book is better or a different medium is better but different people connect to different mediums whatever they feel they absorbed most from that medium so to say that one is better than the other is always weird to hear and funny because I feel like these are different uh, like if we take music or music video or a movie or a book or a poem they all provide something different so to say that one is better or one is worse is weird one provides this one provides that so yeah I think it's important to articulate your argument in terms of what is it doing better mm -hmm. not that it's just objectively better yeah and sometimes I feel like people are like emotionally attached to the book because there's so much uh, you can visualize that is yours and it feels very like you want to protect it and when someone comes in with a movie that shows you visually how they uh, want to display the story it kind of feels like they're coming into your world that you had created with this book and I understand why sometimes someone can say oh the book was better because it, it does feel better to you because it suits you and your imagination and everything yeah exactly yeah so I want to talk to you about trailers and kind of how they give away the whole story, um, especially these days in movies that are being released. And it doesn't feel like, like, what am I going into this movie for anymore when I, it's been told to me right here in a two minute uh, trailer. So do you feel like there needs to be some sort of like rule on that, like the trailer uh, length or in order to restrict or limit that from happening? Obviously, it's art and, like, restrictions are... The, the reason why people go to art is because of, like, the, the expression and, like, that um, freedom uh, and ability to do what you can visually. But, yeah, what do you say on that? Uh, it's important to remember that trailers are not an art form. They can be. But trailers are first designed for marketing and grabbing as many people's attention as possible and getting them to buy the movie ticket. Um, the opinion that movie trailers give away too much of the story, although it's somewhat of a popular one, it's still a vocal minority in my opinion. Um, obviously, I haven't polled the population to find that out, but if they're doing it, they're doing it because they know that people will not watch the movie if they have no idea what it's going to be about. The general population, if you were to total it up, I would bet money on it that more people are likely to watch the movie if they know what to expect. And as boring as that sounds, that's just how some people are, or at least how most people are, which is why they do that. Um, does it turn off some people from watching the movie at all? Totally. But it probably makes people more interested than it does the other way around. So as much as I don't enjoy trailers that give away the whole movie, 
Um, I understand why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't do it for my movies. And I think the choice just comes down to actively not watching trailers if that doesn't make you want to watch the movie. I think now it's getting split into like teasers as well where they'll do teaser trailers. It's been happening for some time where they'll be a little more vague about it. And that's kind of how I enjoy it where it conveys the tone of the movie or the genre um, and not so much the plot. Also, I think that this is a little bit of a side topic, but I think the general population is a little over-obsessed with plot. I think plot isn't the most important thing that happens in a movie. Um, It's probably the thing that the average person can pick up on because it's this happened, this happened, and then that happened, and that's very easy to follow. Mm -hmm. But I don't think plot is the most interesting thing a movie can do. I think some of the most interesting things a movie can do is probably character development, um, tone, um, and the feelings it produces, the emotions it produces. And all of these can be done without plot. You can have a movie that's completely plotless or an incoherent plot, but they can have some of the most interesting characters and some of the most interesting conversations and emotions that they produce. Um, And those are things that I think that, although can happen from other art forms, but it happens to me in the most most powerful way is in movies. Okay. I, I do like how you pointed that it was it's more of a marketing um, uh, than it is really art. Uh, that, that's an interesting way to think about it, and I feel differently now about trailers and not so bitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just sucks that the people who do like movies just have to choose not to watch trailers because I like to enjoy a trailer. Like I like watching previews when I'm in a movie theater, but I hate it when... It gives away everything. And then there's there's obviously some directors and producers who have more control over the marketing side of things, and they get to make more um, vague trailers, and that's awesome. So I'll always watch a trailer from certain directors because I know they're never going to spoil the movie. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you really want to go and spoiler-free with something, just don't look at any of the marketing. Right, right. Uh, would you say then that like the um, vast majority of the population is like passive viewers, if, if that's the case, that... Unfortunately, yeah. The more I talk to people, because I'd like to understand who I'll be marketing to at the end of the day, most people don't watch a movie because they want to be intellectually or emotionally engaged with it. They watch a movie because they want to be entertained. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all need entertainment. Um, It's just that I take movies a bit more seriously. And I take storytelling a bit more seriously. And to me, it's entertainment plus other things that are also equally as valuable to me. But most people watch a movie to be entertained. And that's fine. So to them, if they know what's going to happen, as long as they're like, oh, I get to see what happens, and if I get that plus more of what I just saw, I'll be happy. Um, That's just the way the world is. Yeah, I hear you. So tell me personally, what what do you uh, prefer, and why do you kind of prefer um, the theater experience or the streaming services? If you're asking me, do I prefer it from a viewer standpoint, it's theater experience because I can't recreate that at home no matter how hard I try. Um, Because it's not just about the size of the screen or how good your sound system is. Those are very superficial reasons to me. I also enjoy the energy in the room and every theater viewing experience, even if you watch the same movie twice, is going to feel different because of people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I feed off that energy a lot, um, partly because I'm a filmmaker, so I like to observe and learn. 
and also because I enjoy the movie more when I feel that other people are enjoying certain parts. Um, and I also like to see what people enjoy because sometimes I might not laugh at something that someone else laughs at, um, but then I can see how certain things are affecting different audience members and that's a learning experience for me. Nothing is going to replace a theater experience for me and I, I like that's including drive-ins. Like I don't think drive-ins are the same thing. I would, if I had the choice, I would always watch a movie in the theater. Okay. Uh, so I, I guess then from that, you select who you want to watch movies with accordingly. Like looking at the movie and looking at the person, you would want to experience a certain feel or... If you're talking about going with friends, I like to pick things that people enjoy or I think they would enjoy. But at the end of the day, if I'm going alone, like I won't really have control over who's in the room um, otherwise. But they're both equally important to me. Like, yeah, the people I went with are important, but I'm also interested in the general people just sitting in the room that I don't know. And that stuff, that's energy I'm feeding off of when I'm watching a movie. Okay. So the next one is a bit lengthy so um i know you didn't sleep all that much but uh bear with me so the quiet place it's kind you of mean a quiet place the quiet place okay. <laughs> it's kind of a look at in my opinion what movies once were and also could be again it feels like movies these days have a lot of filler done by dialogue or monologue and it's used um like a tool to lengthen the film so when we watch movies like the quiet place they can they can't really use this tool. They are restricted to telling a story solely by visuals and their characters, which then push them to almost um, make it more engaging and meaningful. Everything they show has a reason to be there, which isn't wasting your time. It tells a story. It makes me feel valued as an audience, as a viewer. So I guess where I'm going with this is that uh, would you feel like um, this is a step that we need to go in in order to better our storytelling. Uh, more examples are Mr. Bean and Charlie Chapman, popular ones there. But uh, yeah. Well, I think if you want to improve your creativity in general, and not just storytelling, you should always find ways to limit yourself. Um, I think creativity feeds off limitations. If you give someone everything, whether that's the infin an infinite budget or every resource in the world, I think that'll just paralyze them to make anything at all. Or if they will, it's just going to be very shallow. But the moment you bring limitations into play, whether that's your budget, um, who you're working with, what tools you're working with, or how you choose to tell your story, you're going to find ways to be very creative and new with the way you do things and also when you limit yourself and you choose to break those limitations or break those rules that you placed upon yourself you'll know exactly why you're doing it and it's going to be all the more powerful because there are times where they do get to speak in a quiet place but there's very specific scenarios where they get to do it and it becomes a bit more rewarding for us as a viewer to see that mm -hmm. okay so you would say not solely um, taking away um, monologue and dialogue or audio, but like having some sort of restriction will um, give you some sort of creative outcome and something maybe even new. Exactly. Always find ways to limit yourself if you feel like you're stuck and you don't know what to do. All right. Um, I feel like that can be applied in a lot of situations, even like not in the artistic world. Yeah, definitely. I think anything creative thrives off limitation. And creative doesn't necessarily mean artistic. Um, I think inherently everything is creative. 
Um, so if you're ever feeling stuck, I think find ways to just limit what your options are. Okay, great advice from Ali here, guys. Um, so talk to me about the short film community and I'm going to add like a little question here. Do you feel like they don't get enough like chances to market their film? Uh, if you're talking about short films in general, short films exist for a million different reasons. Some people make a short film because they're just practicing. So do they need to market that film? Probably not. Some people make a short film because it's a concept to a bigger film. Um, does that need to be marketed? That's a maybe. Um, maybe you want to market it and see if you can get a million views on YouTube with it because that could be proof that there's an interested audience. But again, a concept short film doesn't really need marketing because you just go into a, uh, a producer's office and pitch your concept to them and then you also have something visual to show them to bring it all together. And that's really how projects get picked up. So if you're making a short film just for the reason of making a short film so lots of people can watch it, it's really tough because no one's going to care. Um, people hardly care about normal movies as it is, um, and that's with name stars attached to them. So I don't think, to answer your question, I don't think short films don't have the opportunity to market themselves. I just don't think there is a desire for them in the first place. So convincing someone to watch a short film is kind of a hard task and there's there's very little reason for anyone to do it unless they're a film buff and they just like watching lots of different forms of cinema. I see, alright. Um, a question I have for you, uh, this is more of a discussion question. It's not a this or that. Okay, so I hate this thing, you hate this thing. What is the deal with empty coffee cups or mugs on set? When we can clearly feel that that cup is empty, what, what, is it like a, a spillage thing? Like if it spills, is that what they're trying to avoid or what, what is? Honestly, I don't know. I've never looked into it. I wouldn't be surprised if there is some really weird union law with it because mm. um, most actors on most sets are under a union. Right. Um, but honestly speaking, like whatever the limitation is, I think it can be overcome because if they have some weird limitation, like you can't have a hot beverage in a cup and make an actor hold it because there are limitations like that like actors can't be driving on a set when they're in those driving scenes it has to be done in a creative way where it looks like they're driving okay. but they're not so i understand if there's safety concerns that are in place for certain things but there's definitely ways you can get around it you can have it weighted down absolutely yeah you can put in something that's heavier so you can simulate the movement um, because when an actor's in their moment they're not going to be like let me properly adjust the physics of this cup <laughs> Um, they're, that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on in the moment, what they're thinking and feeling. So I find that to be really weird. Whenever I see it, it sticks out, but I'm sure there's lots of TV shows and movies that do it properly and we don't notice and, or question it because that's supposed to be normal. Yeah. Um, and that goes for a lot of things in movies and TV shows. When something's done right, you don't notice it. Yeah. It, it almost becomes distracting and irritating because I'm just like, let me put something in that cup and it's just... Ugh, I can't. I have yeah. to take a moment and then... Yeah. I think the only recent example I can think of that might have been done properly is Baby Driver. I think there's a scene where he picks up some coffee and it's a lot of coffee. I think that one was done with some level of weight in there. Whether it was liquid or not, I don't know. Okay, okay. 
So, next question. Do you think the comedy genre is dying, or has comedy evolved into something that isn't recognizable? Yeah. I'm curious, what do you mean by that? What has it evolved into? Uh, maybe it, maybe the combination of like horror and comedy. Like it, It's almost like we make fun of like horror movies. It's still entertaining, but it's not horror. It's not like always that scary right um do, do you feel like it's, it's become that because an example is like maybe the parent trap like that used to be something that we, we i used to laugh at as a kid um but there aren't movies pr being produced like that these days i think movies from the 90s and 2000s era and you can say this for any decade the genre evolves and changes um it isn't inherently dead but it does change in the way that they make movies like family comedies aren't really a thing anymore and if they are they're more geared towards smaller kids and not the whole family mm. you think the only people doing full family uh, movies or media is probably disney and pixar at this point um i think parent trap was probably also a disney movie wasn't it can't remember but yeah movies are always changing in their tone and unfortunately we don't have movies like that anymore that feel like that um that's both a good and bad thing, but that's also nothing new. It happens all the time. Every decade, there's a distinct trend that happens, and something gets popular, and then everybody wants to see something like that, so then that's the kind of media that gets created, and that's the kind of media that gets pushed out. And I don't think comedy's dead, to answer your question. I don't think it will ever die. Um, comedy is probably one of the last genres that exists that allows anybody to actually speak the truth. Um, because it's the one genre where you can just do or say anything and have an open conversation. I think co comedy is very much being limited these days, especially with cancel culture and social media becoming so strong in censoring people. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an issue uh, because when it comes to art and then especially comedy, that's the whole point of it. It's so that people can say what they want to say, even if it's uncomfortable to hear. Yeah. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about let's talk about these things and learn from them in a place where you know it's safe because you're either watching a movie or you're watching a comedian on stage. This isn't, in a way, a real scenario. No one's attacking you. It's literally a comedian on a stage or it's a movie talking about a situation or even making fun of a social issue mm -hmm. just so people are more aware of it. I don't think that's inherently bad, but I do think people are getting more sensitive and that's an issue. Yeah, um, that can be a whole other episode, which yeah. it will be. Um, another genre, and that is the horror genre. Why do you think um, it has such an intense polarizing opinion with people who love the genre and some people that just don't understand why it exists? I think it has to do with psychology, as with most things. Um, I've got friends, a lot of friends that enjoy horror and watch it. Um, some of them watch it because they love it. Some of them watch it because they hate it, but they love it that they hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think horror makes people feel uncomfortable in certain ways. For some people, it might be a religious thing. They're like, oh, like this is like witchcraft or like devil worshipping or whatever um and that's like watching something taboo is exciting to them for example that could be it but for people who are more liberal and don't really have those opinions um horror could just be something that's thrilling and fun um that they don't take too seriously or they even get scared of but it's just something that they enjoy 
Um, my opinion on horror is I rarely see a good horror movie because what I expect from horror is something that deeply disturbs me, keeps me up at night, and I find very little things are able to do that. Um, when you're younger, it's easier because your understanding of how the world works is very limited and scaring you as a child is easier. But as you grow older and if you grow out of your beliefs of certain things, you tend to be less scared by them. Uh, or if you are, it fades right after the movie's done and you're able to sleep and it's just fine. So it's really a mixed bag. It's Some people just can't stand the idea of watching something where people purposefully put themselves in stupid situations and that's what the movie's all about. Um, it, I think like they're all valid arguments, but yeah, horror is just a funny genre for me in general. Like there's it's probably the most, like you said, it's the most polarizing genre out there. Yeah. Okay. So do you think of film, for yourself here, do you think of film as escapism or is it an outlet? Well, I think escapism could also be an outlet, but, or anything that is escapism could be an outlet. Are films escapism? They can be, um, depending on how you like to view your movies. Uh, some people like to just throw them on the background as noise while they're doing something else. Um, that's just like, you know, white noise so you can concentrate or something. But if you're watching a movie and you just want to like de-stress, I would say that's escapism. But an outlet to me at least means that it's a way for you to connect with something that's deep inside you. And when you see it realized in front of you or visualized in front of you, it helps you feel better it's cathartic in a way well it could be both and it really just depends on i think personality and like the person's natural temperament and i think it also changes over time like some people could grow up taking movies very seriously but then grow up and they don't feel that way and then it's just casual for them or it could be the other way around okay all right so um how do you feel about reboots or remakes i.e full house Fuller House or Lion King and Lion King live action. Uh, do you feel like they're money makers or like how, how do you feel about them? I'm just going to put this out there that yeah, most reboots and remakes are money grabs. However, there are exceptions where some reboots and remakes are doing better than the original. An example of that, and I haven't obviously seen the movie because it's not out yet, but Dune is a movie that's going to come out uh, hopefully this year, if not next year. But it's had several versions of it before in either a serialized TV show or I think they might have even had a limited series elsewhere. But it's it's gone through several iterations and they haven't been great. They've been okay. Um, but the source material, the original source material for that still exists and we've yet to see a movie that is commercially um, loved by everybody in the mainstream and not just in kind of like underground audiences. So there is there is places for it where it's doing a great thing because you're able to make it better. Um, and sometimes remakes are coming from not just movies, but they're remakes of a video game, for example. I would that I guess that would fall more into adaptation, but the reason I'm I, I'm still okay with that and I like it is because it brings more people to that material that would have otherwise not seen it or engaged with it because the audience for video games isn't everybody. Like, it's a very specific demographic. Um, 
So movies can be seen by a much wider demographic, and I think that's a great thing. Okay. Do you personally watch most of the reboots or remakes of any shows or movies? I can't say that I do. Okay. Um, I'm very particular with what I watch, so it's hard to convince me to watch something that's a reboot or a remake. Okay. Um, adding on to your answer, do you feel like because you're behind the scenes and because you're producing it and not so much the audience all the time or the viewer, do you feel like you've become almost enjoying films less and less because no. of like the detail that you see or you put into it yourself? No, I think that just makes me enjoy it more because the average person might not be able to rewatch a movie, but I can rewatch an, almost any movie, even the most basic movie, and have more value from it. Um, even if it's a movie that's very simple and doesn't have inherent rewatch value, I'll be able to rewatch it because now I can dissect it from a creator's standpoint and see how was it made and what would I do differently. It doesn't take away the enjoyment at all. Um, I will say there is a brief period when you go into filmmaking, and maybe this is true for other creative or other industries, where you start learning about how something is done and it takes the magic away. But I've, I've been able to do this, and other people say the same thing. Like, you're able to turn that off. Okay. Yeah. So it happens in the beginning when you're just starting to learn, but you do get control over it again. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Um, what movies do you feel like were cultural reset? What's a cultural reset? Because I'm not from something, this generation. <laughs> something, how I would put it, uh, I, I would say that like it's memed a lot, it's brought up a lot, it's referred to a lot. Um, it's something that uh, it, you can say even iconic. Like I like to not use that word too much. But um, uh, uh, one I think you would agree with is like Mean Girls. Um, okay. Yeah, something like that. Does anything... See, I, just to nitpick the term, that doesn't make sense to me because a cultural reset to me sounds like a negative thing where we go backwards. Oh. Um, cultural reset just sounds like we're going to the beginning of something. That's okay. what reset means. I think So it's like Mean Girls or anything else that's iconic to me pushes the envelope. So it's cultural evolution yes. rather than a cultural reset because that wouldn't make sense yeah no no okay with your uh term uh what movies would you say are, were cultural evolution <laughs> i don't know you want me yeah to... i'm sure it's not a very trendy <laughs> yeah. uh, or easy word term to say but um i think an iconic movie at least for me is uh inception yeah that's a big one yeah that's a big one um an older one than that's Titanic, but I saw that when I was really young. I think these days, though, TV shows are more cultural resets than movies, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be able to name any off the top of my head because I don't watch as many TV shows, um, just because they're they tend to disappoint me more than movies do. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me to think of movies that are cultural resets. All right. Um. So talk to me about the process of producing these projects. What parts are most enjoyable to you and some that you dread doing and you would gladly pay someone to do? Um, I don't think I can think of a part that I dread doing enough to pay someone to do it. Okay. Um, maybe like I enjoy every part of filmmaking. Some are harder than others. Like writing is tough, but I would never pay someone to do writing for my film because I 
need to feel connected to it in a certain way. Um, I might co-write with somebody, but that wouldn't be the same thing as just handing it off and here's the concept and figure it out because to me, the movie is in the details of it um, and not the overall concept because you can give a pitch to somebody or five writers and they're all going to write a different movie from that same pitch. So that's why I would never be able to do that. But I could definitely co-write with someone because I can kind of guide where we're going in okay. the finer details of things. Um, I think the only thing I would have to pay off people to do is stuff that I literally don't know how to do or don't have the resources or time to, which is most of post-production. So if it comes to VFX, like I don't have the skill set or the technology to do it, I'd obviously have to pay people to do that. Um, but other than that, I enjoy being involved in every aspect of it. On bigger commercial projects, it's probably not going to be viable or even a good idea because there's always someone who can do your job better. Yeah. And I and I would love to bring more people on it. But if you were just talking about if I had unlimited willpower and just could do every job, like I'd love to just do it all. Oh, okay. Um, so we touched on sequels earlier, but talk to me about prequels and um, yeah, that's it. That's the question. <laughs> Just, like, thoughts on it. Do you like it? Do you not? Should it exist? Can it be done better? I don't know. I'm trying to think of any prequels that really stand out to me right now. Um, Was it Monsters University? I never watched it. Oh, okay. Um, I watched the original, though. Okay. Um, Star Wars prequels seem to be pretty bad so far, at least from the general audience, because I never watched Star Wars. I don't think I'm entitled to an opinion on that. Um, What else had a prequel in recent years? Yeah, it's hard it's hard to think of any that are a big deal. Um I imagine we might start seeing more prequels when it comes to maybe superhero movies. Okay, yeah. I can see that being a thing and then that bothering people because yeah. I think what bothers people about prequels is they tend to retcon uh, the narrative that already existed. Um and for those of you listening that don't know what that means, um, it's basically you rewrite the logic of the world to fit a new narrative. So if you want something to make sense that was never introduced in this universe, you just rewrite it into, and it doesn't always have to be a prequel, but you rewrite it into a section of the film or adaptation, and now you can justify anything because you're like, here's a flashback that justifies why this mechanic exists in this universe. And then everyone's like, okay, well, that's just lazy writing. Yeah. So that tends to be a problem with prequels. But I think prequels can be great, just like any other installation of anything. You just need to be doing it right. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I've never been a fan of prequels all that much, but I still watch them just because I wanted to better understand the characters and the world that I came to love. Um, but ended up hating it after watching it. So you can't think of a prequel that you actually like? No, nothing that I would say that, that I didn't waste my time or like, yeah, that was worth watching or that takes up memory in my brain and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I can't think of any prequels that stand out to me either right now. Okay. Um, so tell me what you think personally or maybe even if there is a black and white answer to this. What makes a bad movie? Now, before you answer, I want to clarify on what I mean by bad. I don't mean movies like The Kissing Booth where it's easy to make fun of, but just movies that are flat out bad. Does that make sense? Um, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we started in the beginning. 
um, when someone says something is better, you kind of have to describe why it's better or what it does better. And the opposite works the same way. If you think a movie's bad, you have to talk about why and what parts of it are bad. Um, the one rule I live off of is uh, the movie truly only fails. Like if we're trying to be as broad and general as possible, the mo a movie only fails when it fails to serve its target audience. So if you've made a movie that's supposed to appeal to action movie lovers and they don't love it and you spent all your money marketing to action movie lovers and they hate it, then I would say it's safe to say your movie failed because and they didn't like it. So that probably means that it's not going to do well at the box office. And if it doesn't do well at the box office, it's not going to do well anywhere else. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's, that's a valid answer. Yeah, I guess that it, it is very um, opinionated. Um, so steering a little away from film and the arts behind it, I wanted to kind of get your views on something political. That is your comment on whitewashing characters. We hear time and time again about the lack of representation we get to see on screen. Is it ever okay to uh, give a Caucasian actor the role of a character whom was written as Pac and was known to be a Pac character for the sake of a better performance that they're giving? I don't think you should ever be undermining the ethnic background of any character um, and the basic argument that most people tend to go with is that you should get the best actor for the job and they mean that in two ways whether it's by acting talent or by marketability um, because some actors are more marketable or more well known and you know they're going to bring in X amount of viewers um, but you've got to start somewhere. You can't market POC actors and characters if you don't start marketing POC actors and characters. So the argument is self-defeating. You're going to have to start eventually for there to be the demand. Because if we don't see them, we're not going to know about them and we're not going to have a chance to like them. Mm -hmm. So it's got to start somewhere. Um, and it's not difficult because we already live in a world where the Western world enjoys a lot of um, Eastern Asian entertainment, like K-pop is huge right now, and it has been for a long time. So there's no reason why we can't be doing the same thing in mainstream Hollywood. Okay, yeah, no, that's a great point. There really is no way, other way to go about it. You have to start in order to see how that goes. Yeah. Now, this next one isn't really a question, but I'm going to just slip in my thoughts here, um, like I have been doing this whole episode. As much as I would like to see Pac on screen, um, I feel like we need to have more Pac behind the scenes as well, giving input um, as to what is culturally accurate or whatever it is um, and such. How do you feel on that comment? If we're talking about on set... Um... I'm at least talking about the Toronto scene. I see quite a bit of Pac on cr the crew side. So there isn't, in my opinion, an issue there. Um, and also the crew really doesn't have any input on what happens on screen aside from physically making it happen. Mm -hmm. They aren't the decision makers. Right. But I would say that you definitely need more Pac in executive positions. So that could be people who are the showrunners or the writers um, or 
even producers because they end up picking what's getting made. So you might need Pac and higher up to better understand what the cultural uh, needs are. But in terms of crew, I think we have, at least in Toronto, because that's where we are, I've, I've seen a pretty good balance on sets. Okay, all right. Kind of follow-up question. Um, do you ever feel Asian or feel brown um, working in the artistic industry? Not really. Uh, mostly because I don't really have a strong attachment to the culture. Um, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm a mix of everything. So I've never felt like I'm Asian and no one's ever made me feel that way either. So would you say that it hasn't been ever used against you or used in benefit to you um, being Pac? Not that I've at least been seeing or hearing in front of me. Whether it happens behind closed doors, I don't know. All right. Last question. Here we go. How do you feel being a director, as you have expressed before, you don't like telling the actor how to give their lines? So tell me how you feel about dialogue coaches. Well, dialogue coaches are a different thing, in my opinion. My understanding is that dialogue coaches help people with delivering dialogues in ways that gets not just the words across, but the feeling across. And they're doing it in a very, like a general sense. They're not really there to tell you how to say everything in the movie you're working on. They're trying to equip you with tools that you can take with you to help understand how to deliver dialogues in different situations the same way a voice coach does when they teach you how to sing or how to voice act. They're not there line, uh, feeding you your lines. They're telling you how putting emphasis in different places in a sentence can bring different emotional uh, value to it or things like that. What I'm not a fan of is giving someone a line read, um, mostly because, I mean, it's, if it's not obvious to the listeners already, I'm, I'm pretty monotone as a person. So my line read is not going to be emotive. It's not going to help the actor. Um, I want to explore with the actor what they had in mind because that's where I think the character comes to life. Um, I'm able to give characters kind of like their... DNA in the writing and the word choice they use like I am particular about don't change the dialogue too too much because the way I'm writing a character is on purpose if they say a lot of certain words it's on purpose um, if they use broken uh, grammar it's on purpose so that's what I am particular about but I'm not going to tell someone how to inflect their voice uh, because I think that's something that you should have the freedom to explore as an actor. Okay. So you wouldn't say that you would ever take on the role of being like a dialogue coach for a moment in order to uh, kind of give guidance on how to... No, I wouldn't do it that way. Because one, I don't possess the skill set of a dialogue coach. And mostly I like to go from the psychology aspect of if, if an actor needs advice, I'm more talking about the psychology of things with them more than anything else. And then I want to see what what comes out of that from them. All right. Great. Great points made. Um, all right. Well, that seems to be it. That was the episode on Movies and More with Aline. Do follow up on our Instagram page. Um, would you like to plug anything? Sure. But what's your Instagram page? 
My page is Canvas Me Today. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, mine is a.merteza. All right. So follow up, and I'll catch you in the next one.